Is this Robert Plant? I'm afraid it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's, actually, I'm the singer from Kingdom Come. Congratulations on your 100,000th interview. <laughs> and I've read 96,000 of them myself in preparation. Yes. And all of them feature David Coverdale very, very highly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I've been so elusive, but I've been... I've been uh, putting myself a little too thin, I think, and uh, rushing around like a loony. Are you doing... the British tour now, and I've been a little um, evasive. Are However, I hear that your project is very interesting. Tell me more. Uh, I decided... I don't know if you know who I am or what I've done. I, I've, I used to be the president of Warner Brothers Records. I was the president of Electra Asylum. Currently, I'm the head of uh, Capital EMI in this country. Uh -huh. And I decided uh, I would try to write a book which I, if I had to start it all over again, I'd rather slash my wrists. However, I thought I would do an oral history of the music business last 50 years. So I set out with a tape recorder two years ago. I've now done 250 interviews, starting with Artie Shaw and Woody Herman and the wow. big bands. I've gone through Sinatra and through Peggy Lee and through Paul McCartney and Elton John and Paul Simon and Bruce Springsteen and Barbara Streisand and Robert Plant. <laughs> and you are, uh, on, you know, in the Olympic diving, they have a difficulty scale. Oh, yeah. You are a 10 in the difficulty. Uh, listen, I'm, uh, it's not my intention to be I understand uh, elusive. It's just yeah. that what happens is I take on a million years. I'd love to. I like the man. I like, or I understand what he does, or I'm interested, or I want to be a part of. And then comes the day, there's so many other things that are happening. I have to go, look, I can't do that now because I'm doing this. Please, well, I'm physically I, incapable. I totally understand, and I just wonder, is this a good time to get about 15 minutes with you? Yeah, I should, I should think so. Terrific. I mean, I'm mixing a live, some live uh, stuff in the other room, but uh, I mean, they can carry on. If, if, if you... Keep on pushing the audience appreciation. <laughs> yes, <laughs> jack up the applause, throw in the laugh yeah. track. <laughs> Listen, I, have you, uh, were you ever going to shake the Led Zeppelin Association, or do you ever want to? Uh, well, I mean, I make a lot of fuss about having nothing to do with it anymore, but it's my favorite toy. And and you have no desire to really disassociate yourself from that piece well, of history? Well, I think it's, it's pretty pointless. It's like, uh, it's pretty pointless for me to think that there's any reason to do that. It's really quite a, uh, a remarkable situation that I'm in. All I've got to do is make good records and sing some songs with a few choruses, as you've no doubt read in those 96,000 sure, interviews. Sure, sure. Um, and I think it was a wonderful, wonderful period of my life. I contributed wholeheartedly and innocently to something, which is now probably uh, more effectual than it probably even was at the time, style-wise. Uh, if, if you don't mind, if we can just talk a few minutes about that whole experience, uh, because uh, because uh, you are the <laughs> you are the one you can't do that. Huh? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm the only one who can talk about right. it. I suppose that, nobody else. Nobody uh, else will can't talk. Find anybody else. The, the the music seems to to stand up. Does that surprise you at all? No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, I don't. I I never ever think that a piece of music that somebody cre creates. Uh, they should, I don't think they should ever consider that it's going to become passe or out of date because there's so much enthusiasm and uh, vigor involved in the conception of it. How can you say, God, will this be out of date in five years? Who cares, you know? It doesn't matter. It's the initial uh, moment of conception, if you like, as in most things. Oh, well, we, we had an example here at Capitol this year by putting out the Beatles on CD. My God, 20-year-old music, 25-year-old music uh, is just spectacular again. Uh, well, sure. I mean, if you ever find another format in which to actually promote 
music, it'll happen all over again, and again and again and again, because it's classic, it's the classic 20th century happy song. Led Zeppelin wasn't quite that. No. Uh, I, I'm too close to the whole thing, really, to, to start uh, have any sort of analytic analytical comments that are of really far removed from the musicologists or whatever. I mean, the 70s, was a, particularly the early 70s, was a bit of a confusing time musically. Uh, it was a confusing time socially, too. And uh, I don't know what it is now that creates the kind of electricity surrounding the, the, the Zeppelin saga or the Zeppelin music, because maybe we're in such an in, a period of ineffectual musicality. There's so much music that's uh, around that is conceived for the coffee table. How, how do you, uh, I've asked Robbie Robertson, I've asked Bob Dylan, I've asked another people, why in that maybe 10 year period, 65, 68 to 78, were there so many incredibly innovative musicians? Was was it social times? Was I it think it was. I think there was a, a, uh, the confusion, if you like, and, and the kind of prolific quality that came out took uh, an average or just above average musician or tunesmith to incredible heights because of all the changes that were in the air and because some of the changes were manifest and, and became real. I really thought when I first heard Buffalo Springfield expecting to fly and uh, Broken Arrow and what's that sound for what it's worth, those sort of anthems to me and Forever Changes by Arthur Lee, I really thought that the whole of the social structure was going to shift, naive little boy that I am or little boy that I was, rather. Can't get away with it twice in one life. No, no. But <laughs> I think um, that I wanted to be a part of that great sort of uh, ambiguous uh, movement, the kind of fanfare of, of change and a kind of responsibility. So even if what I, what I had to say was now, perhaps I look at some of the lyrics now and think, oh, embarrassing perhaps or naive or cute or quaint but i remember that that the the actual fact that i thought i was con contributing to something that was actually going to make some sense and take us out of a period of uh the uh kind of early early to mid 60s confusion and actually bring confusion again but in the and out of it comes some out of the darkness cometh light so as to speak um yeah, so I guess really to be a part of all that made us all rise a little bit higher than we expected because um, whatever limited qualities or, or capabilities we got, suddenly uh, we found a real hotbed of enthusiasm to absorb what we were doing. With, with your band, what, what did everybody bring to the table in terms of John and uh, Paul and uh, it was John very, Paul? And most of the time it was very spontaneous. Uh, things were created virtually as a four-piece, um, maybe with Jimmy bringing uh, sometimes cassettes and sometimes ideas that were created on the spot. Sometimes John Paul Jones would contribute uh, contribute the main leading part of a song, and then it would be a pretty quick arrangement of bits and pieces so that the thing fitted together rather quickly. Although it took us a long time in between albums, did I, I, I understand, we, uh, go ahead, please, I'm sorry. Well, it took us a long time in between albums, mainly because we only did it when we really felt we were hot enough to mm -hmm. do it and actually pull it off. 
there were standards that were set that we knew that we couldn't really ever dip away from. I mean, when the first album took 36 hours and cost 1,700 pounds. Um, I mean, it cost twice as much as that to get it even... A, to get the drum sound. Single sleeve. Device, <laughs> huh? Do I? And really, I mean, I guess the enthusiasm quota was such that you could actually turn up. So when you were ready, you were really hot and you did it. And the longest period of time that ever elapsed in between creation and a piece of music being there to smile and brag about was the time it took to design the album cover, which when you look back now, it's kind of hilarious that we followed everything meticulously right the way down the line so that you could lose more sleep on the fact that we had to argue with Atlantic to allow us to have no print at all on, on the fourth album or on Houses of the Holy or whatever it was. All these kind of things of taking it, taking it, taking it, moving it, just generally fucking around with the, the, the previous order of things. Did I also understand, uh, I had talked to Crosby, Stills and Nash, when they first heard their voices together, they all just broke up and said, my God, we got it. W is that an apocryphal story that you guys got together, heard yourselves and said, oh my God, we got it? Is well, I didn't know what we could got. I was yeah. 19 when I heard the tapes of the first rehearsal. And I mean, really, it wasn't a pretty thing. It, was, um, it wasn't supposed to be a pretty thing. It was just a, an unleashing of energy. And I think what I felt, perhaps, I mean, this is a scatty 15-minute conversation. Sure. But what I felt was that this is what I'd always wanted. And, and where, did, where did your voice come from? Where did this, this incredible instrument, uh, was his family, was it trained? It came out of the loins of a civil engineer. <laughs> and it was hidden there all the time? <laughs> well, I didn't ask him too much about it. He was a bit embarrassed about me being around at all. Um, I don't know. I just listened to Ray Charles, and I wanted to be the Ray Charles, but I sure didn't want to play with Lowell Forson's band. Right. You know, and I wanted... To, I just liked to listen to uh, Mose Allison, Oscar Brown Jr., uh, the Lafayettes, uh, the Jive Five. Yeah, I was listening to Morris Williams a lot from the Zodiacs, and I loved the way his voice used to sort of trail around and leave you high up in the clouds and then swoop down again. Tell me. In fact, really, my vocal style now, which I really am enjoying, is probably a little more towards the, the Morris Williams right. than the Ray Charles. Tell me if anybody can ever remember Morris Williams. Well, uh, I, of course, uh, you know, there, I was a disc jockey then playing all those R&B records back mm. then, and you're, you're just bringing my past life back to me now. <laughs> uh, well, come along and item and... Uh, yeah, because he was, he made a record called Little Darling with the Gladiolas. Yes. Years before that, but his actual solo work, Stay and Stay was, uh, uh, yeah. Must I, or whatever it was, Do I, it was great stuff. Never yeah, got paid. Be, I mean, I was like little middle class kid. My dad used to drop me at the club that I used to play at, where I was exposed to <clears throat> the black man and his music, and the occasional... Uh, twisted African woodbine, as we call them. I suppose you'd call them an African Marlboro. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I just used to sit back there and go, listen to King Pleasure or whoever it was and go, I'm far too young for this yet. Tell me, what, what role, if any, uh, did, uh, other than being uh, the manager, did Peter Grant play in, in the development of this band? Well, Peter Grant was the, uh, was the sensitivity and the logic, really, while we kind of bumbled along, uh, not really having any focus on on cause and effect, if anything at all. He was the eyes. He was the kind of 
the communion of all our senses outside actually just creating music and having a great time. Was he with you from the start? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, he was involved with the Yardbirds. When uh, he and Paige came to see me when I was playing in some band, I mean, they came up in his beat-up Volvo. Yeah, and he was, he was a big ball of sensitivity, but at the same time, he wasn't going to leave us exposed to the same old uh, roadshow game that had been played throughout the 60s in the States, where the artist really comes off third, if not fourth, best off. So he, he had personality which uh, exuded power, even though a lot of the time he was bluffing, you know? Well, during that period, uh, I was running Warner Brothers, and we were partners with Atlantic, and Peter, of course, was uh, was legendary in uh, his, his dealings. But together, as a team, you and Peter Grant had cut a reputation that made everything else look like chopped liver with... Uh, in terms of your personal style, and while Rod Stewart claims that they, the faces, originated the hotel room trashing, Led Zeppelin took it to a new dimension. Is, is that all myth, or was, were you guys pretty wild? Well, if we took it to a new dimension, the difference would be between Rod Stewart and myself is that I paid my bill and he'd run away. That's true. You know, Robin, we, we gave him a gold record. That's what we were together. I gave him a gold record to London Hilton with the faces. So a couple of the roadies threw some furniture out the window, and we got charged about 5,000 pounds, and I deducted it from Rod Stewart's royalty. I can yeah. still hear the screaming. I mean, this yeah, is... yeah, well, he would do nothing else but wriggle and scream. <laughs> no, I guess the, the intrinsic difference is that if he started it, we ended up paying the bill. <laughs> but what was it, uh, did it, it, did it become then a standard that you had to equal all the time? No, 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 I don't think it happened more no. than once or twice. I mean, these fables are yeah. really like, yeah. it's like Homer's Odyssey. Did Ulysses really get tied to the mast when he went past the sirens? Highly unlikely, they were probably giving him head. <laughs> do, you, do you have much of a recollection of the festivals that you played, these enormous Woodstocks and things like that? Sure, we didn't do Woodstock, we did Atlanta, Seattle. Um, I can, the Texas Pop Festival, I remember that. I can remember, you know, somebody said, do you remember Sam and Dave on such yeah. and such a gig? Or do you remember Randy California's uh, father-in-law playing the drums? I can remember lots and lots of things. I was Particularly, um, I mean, the whole ex American experience, never mind the kind of heights to which we aspired and uh, both uh, cosmically or um, through one reason or another, one stimulus or another, all those things were hitting me all at the same time. But my memory is pretty good and, and quite happily intact. How did it, how did it wind down? Well, it hasn't wound down. Well, uh, the, the, the group itself as, uh, as a unit, uh, tensions within, of course, uh, uh, John, uh, uh, his, his passing and so forth. But uh, could you feel it ending, or was it going to go on longer? Uh, you know, we've, I've talked to so many groups. And well, you know, you stop yeah. and you think about what you're yeah. doing. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, I had a couple of really bad knocks, which will always whatever happens they will have always obviously taken their toll on me and on my uh my kind of vision or my care the carefree element that i had disappeared instantly in 75 mm. and uh <clears throat> and any chance of it actually coming back that kind of ramshackle i'll take the world now uh, like being in the middle of some thomas mcguane movie a book 
that had gone completely and everything that I did after that <clears throat> my whole kind of mental the whole kind of vision of everything that I was doing was had a lot of thought behind it I guess probably more than the other people who I was working with uh, not that I put in more just that I became uh, a little bit more I don't conscientious is the wrong word but so I guess I changed, whereas yeah. maybe one or two other people around me were still wobbling along. Were, were they? Go ahead. Well, then I started looking at yeah. things and, and kind of calculating a lot more as to whether or not things are worth it relative to time spent. If you understand. Mm -hmm. I understand. Uh, yeah. uh, so I did wonder once or twice as to whether or not this was re we were really actually cutting the cheese or whether we were just nibbling at it with our teeth. Were but I think it ultimately it was. Uh, fine and strong and, and actually it had gone through a cleansing process so that by 1980 I thought it was ready to go for another 10 years. Mm. After it ended, were there withdrawal symptoms for you? Uh, you know, all those crowds and all that frenzy? Uh... Not really, no, because I mean I didn't, I never really stopped singing. Yeah. I, I considered that a week ago I played a gig in the Potteries, which is a district in Britain where they make porcelain and so on and I played in a hall I haven't played in for what 12, 15 years yep. and I sang that night a week ago better than I've ever sung in my life ever yeah. and and I've been working up to making that night special God knows why I knew one of the nights would be really special and that's how I view the whole thing you know I don't view it that you've got to have 67,000 people in Pontiac Silverdome you know I yeah. view it that I've got to actually get to vocally to where I intend to go. I mean, it's such a fine line between having a great night and having an average night. I'm after the good nights, my performance, if you like. And so really, the, the number of people, the fact that I'm doing a British provincial tour, or I've got three nights in London coming up, then I go off to Canada and North America. It's my enthusiasm and my capacity to actually give is more important than the magnitude of the reception because otherwise if I was concerned wholly with that I would be doing uh, Kingdom Come covers or whatever you know is there I, mean, I would be giving everybody what the kind of mass um, the mass imagination is looking for and I find that rather a kind of tired way out right now is is there as much satisfaction the second time around? Is it, oh is it, yeah, yeah, this is great. Is it as important to you as uh, as well, you? It's more important because I'm trying to I'm trying to make some kind of move on my own terms without the hysteria, right. because the hysteria is common only to that great epoch. I mean, David Gilmore is having the time of his life right now, right. and he'd be the first to say this is wonderful. And Pink Floyd are uh, merrily dancing into the dawn. And they actually are dancing into the door, and it costs them a lot of money to do it. <laughs> but um, you know that that right now that isn't what I want to do. To sort of hang on to the name and say here it is again. You know, yeah. and we better get the keyboard player on a diet. <laughs> is yeah. is how do the audiences uh, as as compared? Uh, are they are they more contemplative? Are they more into the music and maybe less passionate? Or how, how well, do you right now this is a thumping set that I'm doing, and I played a British provincial tour, which every town is as different as Toledo is to Cincinnati, you know? So you can't really ever make any sweeping statements about that. But for me personally, I'm getting a hell of a lot out of it, more than I've got out of it with the previous band. 
that I had. And uh, I mean, I'm a, very much of a realist. I expect much more than I'm going to get because I think I'm good enough to get it. You know, but I don't, you know, I don't, I am not Led Zeppelin. I'm just this character who keeps saying he's not Led Zeppelin. <laughs> does that, as you, as you look back on it, uh, does it all seem real or kind of a haze up there? Oh, so, no, no, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I could say anything yeah. I wanted to say. And sure. You go, that was good for the book or that yeah. was good for this. No, 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 I, I, I really... But, but no, I mean, <clears throat> I really, really would like to be in Led Zeppelin again. Now, whether or not time is ever going to allow me to do that, I don't know. But Led Zeppelin would have to be a combination of what it was and what it should be. And what it should be in my book is something that would take probably quite a lot of work. And uh, that work would be quite painstaking so that Led Zeppelin could come out with all the pride that it had initially. I'm afraid I'm, there's a lot of bands who are reforming for the hell of it, and I, I find it all a little bit soulless. Well, it, it, it would be, and as, as you say, it, it's true, because there are bands out there that you, you revered, you had such feelings and, and passion for, mm -hmm. and uh, if they're out there doing a show to uh, score and, uh, and make a quick hit around the country, around yeah. the world... Well, that you see, really, that there is better left locked away unless it comes yeah. out with with the power. Now, I believe that actually the power is still there between Jimmy and myself. And I'm sure that, uh, I can't forget Jonesy, of course, but yeah. I mean, I'm, there's still the tension there between us. Yeah. And that that was, it was never uh, a regular relationship. You know, we never both did the washing and the dishes. Right. You know, and it's probably that great thing that actually is there. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> It's possible to ignite it, I guess. What it takes is uh, a catalyst, and the catalyst may well be, you know, a couple of guys in my band, or my band entirely, we, to make it into something else. In the olden days, Ahmet could go do it. <laughs> Ahmet could get everybody crazy. Well, I'm actually, I thought you were Ahmet calling now, because <laughs> uh, I'm expecting you to call me. Yeah, Ahmet could do it, but he could... But I wouldn't taste it right then, because I know that Armit was thinking in a kind of mildly in a corporate manner. Sure, sure. And I, as much as I love Armit, I don't like anybody to be thinking about my career in a corporate manner. I've, I've missed enough choruses intentionally in my albums to maintain some kind of what I consider to be integrity, and other people would call it a deficit at the bank. But um, a corporate encouragement for my own music is fine. I mean, Led Zeppelin doesn't need to be encouraged to become Led Zeppelin again. It'll happen or it won't. Well, I, uh, I, I thank you for this time. I look forward to seeing you in the States. And I, and I tell you, as a, as a, f a fellow uh, plier of the trade over many years, uh, I think it's terrific how you've come back with style and with class. It's not that you ever went away, really, but the, the eclectic things you've been doing over the last couple of years are, are terrific. And you seem, as, as through the 96,000 interviews and just through talking, that you really have a passion for you're still doing it. And, uh, and that's really professional. And I, I wish you well. well. Thank you. I mean, I do still do it, and I do it with passion. That's why it's a day off and I'm in the studio. I mean, I suppose I could find my girlfriend, but that wouldn't take long. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, okay, well, I'll see you there. Thank you. I look forward to seeing when you come here. Okay. Take I look care. forward to it, too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Joe.